0: to a very special episode of the Comics Fondal Podcast. My name is Andrew and my blog is ComicsFondal.com. I have with me Matt Hurwitz from Danger Burger who also uh, does some reviews at Comics Fondal but he's, he's principally cartooning at Danger Burger. How's it going? And then, because this is a very special episode where we're talking about Providence 12 and sort of Providence in general... We invited Joe Linton from Facts in the Case of Alan Moore's Providence to come and join us for this finale. Joe, how are you?
1: I'm I'm okay. My I I I hope I don't clear my throat too often. I I'm, I'm just getting over something, but I'm excited to talk about Alan Moore and Providence.
2: So Well, you'll you'll need to clear your throat to pronounce Cthulhu's name uh, correctly. <laughs> so I guess that works out. That's right. <laughs>
0: Uh, the guttural intonations are important. So, Joe, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've got going on, because everybody sort of knows what Matt and I have going on, sort of.
1: Yeah, so we I'm actually one of three people now working on a website called that you mentioned, Facts in the Case of Alan Moore's Providence, that's a, an annotation site for, uh, for Providence as well as um, Neonomicon, the courtyard was actually annotated by Avatar. There's a book with, with uh, annotation on that. And we've done a couple other minor Alan Moore uh, uh, Lovecraft stuff in there too. We've done some interviews with um, the letterer and the artist and whatever, get Kurt Hathaway, Jason Burroughs, Juan Rodriguez, the, the, um, the colorist. Anyway, so uh, and I, I should say too, it's not so. Um, I I a few years ago I got inspired by Jess Nevins, who's annotated Top Ten and League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and and I think that going in, Alan Moore's his work is so has so many references that it's it's fun to kind of dig on those and tease them out and see see how they inform things. I mean, I think. Uh, anyway, so I but I was inspired by other folks who who annotated Alan Moore, and I started annotating Splash Brannigan and Cross Plus One Hundred at my website called the Periodic Fable. and then um, I heard Providence was coming out, and I poked around on Reddit, and I met um, the the, my, the main collaborator on the on facts. I call it Facts Providence for short. Anyway, so Facts. Uh, who is Robert Derry? Who wrote an excellent book about Lovecraft called uh, "Sex and the Cthulhu Mythos"? Um, and he's really he's a Lovecraft scholar, and I, I he's the guy who does the first cut kind of the annotations that are that are and spots most of the stuff anyway. So I, I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of Lovecraft, but I have a collaborator who does. And then we have an awesome. Uh, Gang of uh, comment commenters who've been bringing up things that we didn't see and whatnot, and one of those is a guy named Alex K, who came on, and so it's three of us: Robert, myself, and Alex, who, who've been doing this website, and uh, it's it's been fun. Some someone actually uh, wrote an article that talked about that it was a little bit like. Uh, Lovecraft's circle of authors who were all commenting on each other's works, and, you know, in 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 the 20s and 30s. Um, so it's been sort of a it's been a fun forum to kick things around, sort of in real time as issues have come out and speculating what might be next. And
2: you, you three are sort of the Japheth, Etienne, and uh, Hezekiah. <laughs> That's of, right of the series. <laughs> The custo- the custodians, yeah. the invisible hand, yeah. the guides.
1: <clears throat> yeah, gradually revealing Halley's book to the unsuspecting New England.
2: <laughs> oh, great! No, I'd been hoping that been that'd be re-released soon. <laughs> well, thanks for thanks for coming on to you know discuss uh, Providence Twelve. I mean, now that it's here, uh, it almost feels a little anticlimactic because when you're imagining a big finale apocalypse. It's always bigger in your head than what winds up on the page. But um, that said, I you know, I don't I don't think anybody I don't think any fans of the series have been unsatisfied by the issue. I think it's more like the anti climax that it's finally over now and that the world didn't end, that we didn't experience some John Carpenter's in the mouth of madness fiction becoming reality. But that's only because nobody reads comics. I mean if everybody <laughs> were reading if everybody were reading Providence, then maybe by Providence 12, uh, you know, we would be living on Yogath by now.
1: Yeah. Well, maybe it'll be like Lovecraft. It'll be unknown in the day that it came out, more or less, and then just take over. As Oh, good as point. Anderson, yeah. A like.
2: uh, hundred years from now, right, Providence will do to the world what the work of Lovecraft did in Providence. It'll be like Providence plus 100.
1: But I... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think what's what's interesting, or what 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 comes what occurs to me, and it, it is a very, um, in some ways, it's a very straightforward issue. It's not as convoluted time or plot or anything as as a lot as earlier issues have been. Um, but it's um, <clears throat> excuse me, it it does. Gosh, I lost my train of thought. Um, It does tie all the threads together from Neonomicon and Courtyard. And I think there's the point that I was going to make, was it's a lot like the other times that Alan Moore has ended the world, which if you look at the end of Promethea, if you look at Swamp Thing, um, uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Black Dossier. Watchmen, of course. That's true, Watchmen. Things... Things end, and, and it's kind of uh, it's I don't want to call it an anticlimax, but it, yeah, it's not as big. Everybody wakes up and goes to work the next day, and, and the world has ended, but it's it's uh, it's still going on. So, and it's the in, in those series too that almost the anticipation of what was going to happen is is more the sweet point than the the state at the very end.
2: Yeah, the sweet spot is kind of the the last couple of months between number eleven and number twelve. And number twelve uh number number eleven was so dense in terms of like all those little snippy flash forwards, like the montage through you know, however many years uh after Black dies in nineteen nineteen. It's basically like a hundred years flash forward to almost a full century forward to the present day. And yeah. um I guess you know the the funny thing about Providence Twelve is that it, it's more like Neonomicon Number Five than Providence exactly. Twelve.
1: Exactly. That's and and I was it was something. One of my thoughts going into it was, how is Robert Black going to be in in Providence Twelve now? That that's he's my on only. Inside?
2: That's my only disappointment is that we didn't see Robert one more time.
1: I mean, he's he's there me, he's, he's in mentioned his like book,
2: in yeah, book. that's true. And he's mentioned once, but um, almost as an afterthought, almost just as a circumstantial detail. Yeah. And he, he got to—I got to like him so much over the series.
0: Yeah, he was sort yeah. of just this perfect he's... dope narrator. I mean,
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He's a little simple. He's like—I—the I, person I like him then too. And I don't know if this is national, or whatever. Like Kewell Hauser had this show on on, uh, exploring California and whatnot. And he always, he always seemed so dumb, but li- feeling dumb, he got everybody to explain things to him and that, and therefore to the, to the viewer.
2: Yeah. And, um, it's, I guess it I mean, obviously it was sad that he offs himself in the suicide garden, but, um, I guess myself and I have to assume some other readers thought we might see him one more time in some other form, the way that, uh, you know, there's that allusion to what happened to Ambrose Bierce in number 10, and then he comes back as one of those brains in the jar from uh, The Whisperer in Darkness, which was such a nice touch. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was one of those times that I was glad for your website, Joe, because I, I didn't immediately catch the clue about who it was. I had to, oh, Ambrose Pierce, of course, right, because somebody out there who's helping source your, your site knows what Ambrose Bierce's dad's name was, of course.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I confess to not. That was my first question to Robert: was who who is in that cylinder? Um, yeah, it, I was. I, I so, some of the commenters have speculated that Robert Black might be like inside the the meteor trapezohedron, the shining trapezohedron, whatever it's called. Um, but I don't. I, I think he's not. I think he's sort of the you know the herald. Maybe it's the herald doesn't get to. Be there when you know galactus or whoever arrives <laughs> you know <laughs> so it, it becomes someone else's show at, at that after they've done the the, fra- done, the, fr- maybe done, the done phrase maybe new- comes to mind here.
2: <laughs> the phrase new gods from jack kirby is oddly apropos in this situation yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> or, or fourth world or whatever yeah
0: yeah it's-
1: I I think though I mean so talking let's talk a little about issue twelve and I should say we're let's assume that people have read it right we don't yes need
0: we always to assume worry about spoilers. we always <laughs> oh, spoil everything yeah, always,
2: yeah. If, if you don't know by now it's your own fault or go listen to it nah, okay yes
1: <laughs> talking think, issue twelve I think that that let me say first that that um, Jason Burroughs and Juan Rodriguez the the artist and the colorist um, have done some. Beautiful pages—the sort of baptism of Cthulhu by Johnny Carcosa, the 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 rendition of Azathoth, the Eye, kind of over the bridge. I mean, there's a lot of really, um, you know, big splash, you know, gorgeous images. I think, yeah, with really complicated color
2: too, because he does these (laughs) skies that are becoming more like galactic clusters and. It that stuff is hard to render realistically, let alone realistically, but also aesthetically pleasing and composed in the panel with the other with the characters and stuff. So yeah, yeah. they totally knocked yeah. it out of the park.
1: It made me wonder too, like, how they how they collaborate. Like what how much of that is Jason Burroughs and how much of that is um Juan Rodriguez? But who knows? It it's the end product is, is gorgeous and lush.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, God, this was the issue where, uh, Jason Burroughs actually had to roll up his sleeves and try to depict these, these gods <laughs> that are beyond our comprehension. <laughs> and, you know, good enough. I mean, yeah. not that, uh, not that really talented artists haven't done really well rendered, uh, azotoths and nyarlathoteps and, and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think there was ever any doubt. Actually, I think my favorite Jason Burroughs drawings are in this whole issue are the, uh, the meat crabs or whatever from whisper and darkness. I know they're not called that, but, um, yeah, those are some of my favorite, those are some of my favorite Lovecraft monsters. And by the time we were getting to the final issue, I was worried I might not, they might not work them in there, but then they work them in like perfectly.
1: Well, I think too, one, one trick that's kind of Lovecraftian that, that I, I don't know how much to attribute Burroughs or, or more, both of them. Absolutely. Um, is Cthulhu? We, even though we actually get to see Cthulhu and the eyes open up, and uh, it, there's there there there's definitely renderings of Cthulhu, but we never get to see Cthulhu full on frontal. Um, so I think I think that one of the things Morris talked about is that um, that one of the tricks Lovecraft works with language is he says sort of um, you know Cthulhu is kind of like a what does he say, an octopus, a dragon, a human, but not like any of those things. And then it lets the reader sort of conjure up these images. And so we get, it's like a folded jewel or a cabbage and and, and all those things. It's sort of not, and we never get the full picture of what is Cthulhu, which is, I think, a very deliberate and, and an odd way in some ways of depicting Cthulhu in a comic book. It's it it's still the reader can still imagine what he's gonna grow into. I mean he's on the cover of issue. Yeah. He's <laughs> <So laughs> still it's not still have like blood. we've never seen him, but but we didn't we don't we part of the 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 part of the trick that Moore and Burroughs do, I think, is to leave him a little bit vague. Inclu- including the the gosh, what's the big cloud creature that's at the end too? Shut Oh Yug,
2: yug I mean, Shibara. No nope. yeah. Shut the hardcore, up. the hardcore Lovecraft fans are tearing out their hair right now. We're mm-hmm. sorry, but <laughs> the go with a thousand young. You know who we're talking about.
1: Yeah, They're So the, even even those are they're they're depicted, but they're not quite nailed down. You know. So I mean, it's it's. I think that's, I think that's an echo of how Lovecraft let the reader fill in the details on his monsters.
0: Yeah,
2: and I had heard um, more mention, praisingly that quotation from call of cthulhu about how it's not quite this and not quite that so it was nice to have it worked in uh, into the dialogue in that scene um by this real life lovecraft scholar apparently <laughs> whom i don't know if people on the you know in the comments of facts in the case of providence were uh talking about him or not or citing him but apparently he's alan moore's number one favorite lovecraft scholar because he just stuck him in there uh as this like commentator uh and lovecraft scientist because now the world is becoming lovecraft's world i, I totally wasn't expecting that i mean i don't know obviously i didn't know who the guy was did either of had either of you had or, ever heard of this guy
0: no
1: yeah
0: i it's- S.T.
1: Joshi is, he's, he's the guy. I mean, if you get the, the good editions of Lovecraft, he's the guy who's written the annotations to Lovecraft. And I don't, I'm, my, my, I haven't, he's written books on Lovecraft as well as on Ambrose Spears. Um, I, I have not read his books, but I've read his annotations and they're awesome. They're, they're very helpful and very clear. And, and he's, he's a, a real, you know, intellectual leader in Lovecraft studies.
2: Wow, and now he's gotten the ultimate tribute, really, right. among the fandom community.
1: Well, something – I was asking my collaborator, Robert, about this. He's been in some fiction, too, of uh, uh, Lovecraft fiction, and Robert's trying to track it down. <laughs> so oh. it's not – it's, it's – there's so much – you know, so many people have spun out Lovecraft myths, those stories, that um, yeah. in some ways it's all been done before, you know. The, the I was all excited like oh Moore's recasting and this is back to Providence three like Moore sort of recast the the inns frog fish people as you know persecuted minorities and 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 I was all excited at that insight and Robert's like oh yeah you know Joe Blow did that in the nineteen eighties already <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that so there's there's a lot of Moore and and the fact is Moore has read a ton of it so he's he's riffing on. Um, Tricks that other people have done and and putting, I I think an awesome spin. I mean, I think the whole thing is really Moore's sort of love letter to Lovecraft is saying how much he's, how much Moore was inspired by him while at the same time bringing up criticisms of sexual prudence in Lovecraft, lack of women characters, you know, gay, Jewish homophobia and anti-Semitism and stuff like that. So I think... It's it's it, I think you know Moore does this crystalline you know construction that that uh, is able to you know both it, it's you can tell Moore loves Lovecraft but you can tell that at the same time he's able to criticize and revamp and uh, refocus and stuff. So
2: yeah, it also feels like you know how like the sci-fi book club or whatever got rid of their old award statue because it was Lovecraft's bust and we can't have a racist author be the bust of our statue at, I feel like, I feel like the ending of Providence is kind of Moore's not only love letter, but kind of, uh, coming to terms and reconciliation with all of the racism, sexism, xenophobia. He's kind of saying that in the end, uh, Lovecraft was talking about Lovecraft cared about bigger things than that So what does all that stuff really matter And in a weird seductive way I feel like by the time that Brayers Has given birth to Cthulhu And Johnny Carcosa is Putting him in the river It's, it's like this <laughs> there's, like, The colors are so nice and it's almost serene And you almost find yourself going along With it because uh, The FBI agents and, um, and Joshi are, are going along with it too like they don't really have a choice, yeah. but I feel like he
1: it, more it's kind a dream, of, sort of yeah.
2: More, more kind of gets the reader to accept Yugoth as well as Brers and, and uh Joshi. And it's kind of it's kind of weirdly nice. It's uh it's a little disquieting. And it's not something well, I mean but they're talking about it, right? They're they're it's incredibly self referential and it's kind of hilarious too to find okay, we're living in Lovecraft's world now and these people are just standing on the bridge, kind of like. Well, I guess it's a bit like this story. No, I think it's a bit more like that <laughs> story. <laughs> like they can't—they can't stop doing Lovecraft literary criticism, even during the Lovecraft apocalypse.
1: Well, that's and that's a very—that's a point that that actually my again Robert Derry is the guy who really should be on here talking about it. But in in some ways, um, Joshi and breers and. Um, I'm going to scroll and find the exact quote that, that my colleague wrote. Uh, they they sort of represent the three schools of thought on on people interpreting Lovecraft. That um, uh, Joshi, who, who I'm going to scroll here. Where is it? Um, the uh, anyways, Joshi is sort of the literary critic who who sees who analyzes Lovecraft and, and in in a very literary way. And and one of the things that I think um, Moore is sort of joking at with him is, you know, the world's ending, there's a birth, there's, a you know, monsters coming, and he's sort of uh, discussing finer points of literature <laughs> with, <Right. laughs> with Breers. Breers is sort of a, another school of thought, which is uh, sort of a... I want to call it romantic, although uh, what Robert said is here, people who accept lovecraft stories at a more personal or spiritual level. Um, so Brears is sort of accepting and um, I want to say embracing. I mean, I think of right. a scene in the, in the end of, of uh, Neonomicon where she's sort of talking about how she's never felt better. I mean, she's sort of... what's What's interesting for her... Anyways, let me get through the three things, and then I'll talk more about it if you want. But and, and then um, Perlman is sort of you know the FBI agent who's looking to he still wants to use the commonplace book to try to turn back the the apocalypse.
2: Yeah, he's he's like the Lovecraft fans who wrote stories that turned it into more of a comic book universe
1: yeah which is which is uh Derelith is the sort of leading person of that who you know in in lovecraft no character ever you know turns away a, 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 I, don't know, I mean there's probably a couple of exceptions yeah. but but when you encounter the the old ones you go crazy or you you know you're yeah you're not going to say the magic true. spell that and wards them away and Derelith is kind of more his characters are able to fight and use signs to ward off the the mythos. So
2: by the way, is, it, is is there kind of an oblique Evil Dead 2 reference in the fact that Perlman uh has a fake hand and he's carrying around what's essentially like a version of the necronomicon <laughs> or, or or an excerpt from it <laughs> or am I or am I stretching?
0: I don't know, because there's another reference in there, and it's just – it's the most pop culture Moore's gotten in, I don't know, 20 years, like, since top 10, I feel like. But there was another comment in there, and I think it's like a – the FBI agents, before they get um, killed off, their
2: – Oh, they mentioned David Lynch. Yeah. I mean – Yeah, it's that was just, unexpected. Yeah. Because you don't really associate David Lynch with H.P. Lovecraft ever, although I could understand the comparison.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's so, and it, it's mentioned uh, with. I mean, so I would say I would start out with Lynch is if you've seen like showpieces and the Alan Moore's movies with. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Mitch Jenkins is his collaborator. Um, they're very Lynchian, and so I think I think Moore is. Is inspired by Lynch, but it's oh surely yeah. Was, Cinema Purgatorio has a very Lynchian feel to it. Yeah, I, I and I bet it'll get around. Well, maybe it might be an anachronism. Anyways, it's it's yeah. In in, in Providence Twelve, they talk about uh, the woman who wrote Peyton Place.
0: Mm-hmm. Her name is
1: Grace something, Metal, and it was sort of Alice
0: yeah,
1: yeah. Um, that was sort of the first, like, big popular version of there are these small towns that you think are apple pie and you know Americana, but they're actually there's a lot of crap going on below the surface. And that's that's a lot of Providence. That's a, that's some Lovecraft, and but that's um, Grace Metallius and uh, and David Lynch for sure are, are that. So it's sort of that lineage. Mm-hmm. There's also yeah. the, re- the, the reference I thought you were going to say is the FBI agents leaving the the safe house with the night gaunts is uh, – folks have said it's a lot like the birds, like Alfred. Oh, King. yeah. Oh. I I think subconsciously
2: I, I it felt very familiar, and I couldn't quite place why, but that is uh, like a, a birds reference in a way.
1: Yeah. It's also – sometimes um, more will really wink at you and use a straight line of dialogue. And then sometimes you'll get a scene like that where you're like, I think this is based on that, but I don't know. So yeah. it's, it, and, and no, I, I certainly, I no certainly thought that of, that <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Oh, I, I was going to say, speaking of references, I certainly um, thought of Rosemary's baby when Brayers wants to hold Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, if, um, if Nyarlathotep or Johnny Carcosa or whatever said um you know uh, oh he has his father's eyes or something, it would have been too on the nose, but definitely got definitely got a strong rosemary's baby vibe uh, just from the well from the whole scenario really, and you know speaking of prayers again because um the way neonomicon ends in issue four. Yeah, I mean, Moore has said that he wrote that when he was in a very dark place, at a very dark time in his life. I think because Warner Brothers had just screwed him over on V for Vendetta or something, and um, it really ends with a bad taste in your mouth. And Brers, who is this you know hardworking, sympathetic protagonist, winds up being uh, the harbinger of the apocalypse. But I feel like in Providence Twelve, I kind of there's that there's like an exchange between her and Perlman where they sort of like acknowledge each other and like can you believe how far out of hand this has gotten and Perlman is like I'm so I'm so sorry I ever sent you to Innsmouth. Smith and she's like it's okay really
1: yeah something something Robert taught me Mike again my my collaborator on the on the blog Robert Derry um if we look at, so if we go back to Courtyard, um, Aldo Sachs is a very typical Lovecraftian protagonist. He's got his shit together at the beginning, super smart, you know, frankly racist and and stuff. He encounters the mythos, and he's, you know, a babbling, uh, you know, crazy person by the end, right? Mm-hmm. So Brears is kind of the ultimate... Um, Anti-Lovecraft uh, Protagonist In her way She's female Which <laughs> Right To begin with out of the running uh, She starts As she's sort of This recovering Person who had issues With sex addiction She'd been She's had treatment And took time off of work For For her Craziness That That, that uh, Whatever That That debilitated her and then yeah. through through her exposure to the mythos through being raped um she comes to a place of strength and sort of gets her shit together so yeah, true. she's she's sort of the the ultimate like contrast to to lovecraft debilitation you know to, to the trajectory yeah. of the typical lovecraft protagonist
2: um, yeah And um, more than Aldo Sachs, I mean, I guess Robert Black kind of took up the mantle of Moore's ultimate Lovecraftian protagonist, but – well, I mean, except for being Jewish, but um, even Aldo Sachs in this issue I felt like kind of got some um, redemption as kind of vile a character as he was in Neonomicon in the Courtyard – and it's at that moment it's at that moment where he tells Perlman that he's in a hell of melting facts <laughs> and he seems yeah. terrified and you're just like, Ah, oh, poor Aldo <laughs> Like Aldo, like I guess because the swastika on his forehead is, is warding off the uh the influence of, of the of Yugoth or something, but there is kind of a moment where you're like, Oh, this Aldo is kind of just a pawn too, and he knows it.
1: Yeah. He, he does feel sort of a, he, he, he never quite, he gets, you know, as Lovecraftian characters do, get the, he's got his mind ripped wide open by his encounter, and he never, he never quite recovers. And there's, there's some sense that um, where Breers can see Lang and can see the, the outline of everything in some ways, of where, where she's got this awareness it feels like he's somehow, and I, I'm trying to think of exactly how I get this, but it feels like he's still somehow stuck between both worlds. That he's sort of he can see the new stuff, but he can't really embrace it yet. Somehow.
2: Well, he's so cocky in uh, in Neonomicon up until uh, he realizes that that Brers is carrying Cthulhu, and then suddenly he's he's wide eyed and, and kind of scared for the first time. Um,
0: okay.
1: It, even when it, any mention of sexuality or stuff, too, he's kind of squigged at. So it's, mm, yeah, it's, that's true. He's an interesting character, but he's—I mean—he's a foil. He's a—he's a Lovecraft protagonist that that can be thrown away at the end in some ways.
2: Yeah, very very casually. <laughs> Jesus Christ, <laughs> um, what what's his face? Like eats him along yeah. with one of the other agents,
1: Sh- Shadrach Ansley. The the 600 year old
2: cannibal yeah and from (laughs) Shadrach Shadrach and the terrible old man increase Orn. right uh they were kind of they were kind of the only wrinkles in the idea that the more things change no pun intended the more they stay the same and Yugoth isn't going to be that much more fucked up than our current world (laughs) because because if if you're if you're the FBI agent who's stuck in a whose soul is in a tiny little vial and you don't know if you're dead or not um that didn't turn out too well for her, did it? Um, you could you could argue that these other Lovecraftian uh emissaries, whether it's um uh, or Carcosa are kind of benign to a degree. Well, you know, we haven't forgotten that rape scene from issue six or whatever it was, but uh yeah, Shadrach and Orn are still not a couple of guys you want to take a walk with.
1: Yeah.
0: And there, it's it. I think more
1: walks a fine line with the uh, like turning the tables on the horror of Lovecraft of you know cannibals and uh, terrible old men th- that are in some ways you know nice. They're at the nativity. They're the three wise men, right? Right, right. <laughs> in this issue, um, but they're they are doing terrible things. Um, so it it does make me wonder. You know, you can. The issue twelve covers whatever a dozen people during the apocalypse, and or not even people, most of them. Uh, it, it, is the rest of humanity all being squashed, or are they all achieving enlightenment? Who knows? They're all kind of off. Yeah, the that is.
2: Kind, it's kind of an omission. I mean, there is we we see that uh, one of Brer's followers had her way with uh, those university students, and they're all dancing yes. around. Uh, headless and handless Although if they're dancing They can't be too unhappy uh, Their professor didn't handle it so well But otherwise, yeah We don't we don't see a whole lot else Of uh, what's happening to people Population
1: And in some ways maybe that's Lovecraftian That there are these old gods That don't really give a Can I swear on this show? They don't really give a shit Oh, about I, I already humanity. have, it's fine <laughs> uh, And so it The story the story of Pastor and, and Cthulhu isn't, isn't a, it's no longer a story about people. So it's sort of perhaps the consequence of everyone who didn't, you know, who wasn't Joseph or Mary, you know, or St. Joshi. Um, Got it. and, and then, it's just an extra in the story.
2: And even and even Brers, even the Virgin Mary is kind of like, when her part is done. Johnny Carcosa says, "Take care of yourself, huh?" Which is hilarious. <laughs> because it's Johnny Carcosa going like, "Eh, take care of yourself," you know, like, "Okay, thanks, Johnny. See ya, see you around, maybe."
1: That, like they don't they fine. don't even care when they're done with those guys. That line is very, you know, indifference. The the god's indifference to the Puny <laughs> yeah. Mortals.
0: And so yeah. let's
1: talk about bridges though. Let's I, I think the the it well it's funny. So my my I wrote actually a book about the LA River and Bridges. I'm a bridge geek. And this, this issue oh, takes takes place on a bridge and Moore talks about it as like a liminal space between two things and um, I think that the the this bridge was torn down and then restored, and was in the the when Cthulhu when the when Nassavoth appears, like the bridge reverts to the bridge that we saw in the Arkham issue and in, in whatever issue five or six, where where uh, Elspeth Wade encounters Robert Black and stuff, and um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of this sort of. Um, I think, throughout Providence of sort of being on the cusp between two things, being on the cusp between awake and dreaming, um, uh, the the old world and the new apocalyptic world and stuff like that. And I think the, the bridges are both um, emblematic of something that connects those two, that spans those two different banks and that... Um, that has this sense of place, and I think Lovecraft um, and Moore both have a lot of that. You know, Lovecraft reading um, like Charles Dexter Ward, you can you can walk through the same streets that that uh, Lovecraft describes in in his stories and stuff. And and there are some people complain that that's boring, but some people like me like the, it's such detail that you can. You can use Google Maps and stuff, and you can actually figure out stuff. And I think Moore, Moore you know, lived all... So, Lovecraft lived all his life in Providence, yeah. and so for two years in New York, and and really was, you know, rooted in place. Moore has the same thing with Northampton. And reading Jerusalem, you can tell where what streets his characters are walking down to. And I think Providence really has that. And things like the bridges, you can find all these bridges on Google Maps. And in, uh, you know, you can tell the even the scene, there's a scene early on in issue 12 where the the city, which is actually Pittsburgh, is turning from skyscrapers into, you know, fungi from yoga. And uh, that's a, you can find that on Google Maps and stuff. So yeah. one of the things that's been really fun is, uh, and, and something I've, I'm thinking of doing some maps to go with each issue you can you can you can tell exactly where black has walked you can tell yeah where, you know, um, the cover of is.
2: issue cover of issue 9 the shunned house I mean that basically that house almost looks exactly the same as it does on the cover as it must have a uh, hundred years ago yeah.
1: thankfully and it's funny in issue 10 uh, so black is walking with um, Lovecraft, and they encounter um, uh, the young guy who's Japheth Colwyn, um, who's his right before you know, he's been possessed by his uh, yeah, well, ancestor. After, after, after he's he's smoking pipe oh, yeah. and stuff, and he's standing in front of the shunned house. But you don't; it's it's not shown clearly unless you kind of go through and look at the street views and figure it out. And and you're actually looking from a window in the shunned house out onto this scene and stuff like that. Oh, wow, that's brilliant. There's a lot of, um, th- there's just a lot of place um, described in these things. Sorry, I feel like this whole, the Bridges thing is, that I'm thinking of writing like an article about the, you know, the Bridges of. The Bridges London of Lovecraft County.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but uh,
1: the, the, it's, it's uh, there's so much good. Detail. I mean, and kudos to Burroughs for really digging this up and spending a lot of time on it. And, and yeah, but I, but I and, think it's really it's very Lovecraftian, it's very Moorian, and it's and it's and it really gives Providence a sense of realness and groundedness in place.
2: Yeah, Andrew, didn't you once describe uh, Jason Burroughs as like he started out as this avatar hack and now he's basically the next Steve Dillon?
0: Yeah, um, especially now that oh. Steve Dillon, well, has especially, passed, but uh.
2: yeah, uh, he is with he's with us now.
1: <laughs> I suggested that, that he's a little bit like um, Dave Gibbons that he's he's very organized and straightforward, and it's you know certainly a collaboration
0: on those levels um, that I don't think any of us were expecting when Providence started because we'd had Cross Plus One Hundred, right? It had started when Providence started, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was three or four issues in.
0: Yeah, so we, we'd we already sort of come to, to realize that Moore was actually taking his Avatar work a lot more seriously than he, we thought he would be. And then, but with Burroughs, I mean, especially with the series, you know, he did the uh, Courtyard, he did Neonomicon, and now he's doing Providence, and you can just, when you're reading them in sequence because I feel like I went back and reread them in sequence when I read the first, that collection of Providence he got for the Cinema Purgatorio Kickstarter. Yeah. You can just see the quality of his work increase and more just throwing more and more and more and more at him to... uh, I mean, Providence is so dense. Um, When we talk about more end-of-the-world issues, I feel like this issue, in a lot of ways, he... Uh, Burroughs didn't get to do the wacky um, 32 Signs of the Kabbalah issue like um, they did on Promethea. Promethea he didn't yeah. get to do. Uh, I mean, it's more like Watchmen just in terms of the scale of End of the World as it affects um, the art. Because I kept waiting in this for everybody to die. Um, that <laughs> We haven't actually mentioned that. Yeah, not really. Nobody you like really dies this issue. It's really Hugs. weird. No.
2: <laughs> it's Robert died last issue. Right. And I mean, he didn't come back.
0: He didn't come back. Beers, you get to know her again, and you're like, "Oh, she's all right," you know. And the sort of addled... Even
2: Perlman, even yeah. Pearlman, who who basically like serves himself up on a platter by like rushing in to try to save the day and he, you know, it's it's kind of benevolent of like of you know the this consortium of the Stella Sapient to be like oh that's cute like hey why don't why don't you that's nice why don't you just watch why don't you just take a seat and watch what we're gonna do here because you're not even a threat to us
0: yeah and it's I mean it's very um I thought that on this issue actually with Burroughs he actually was going for more pleasant faces than he usually does just to sort of throw you off a little bit um especially at the beginning those fbi agents they're very personable uh and that's why uh when they die on their little walk on the bridge i, I was like where did the fbi agents go and so I, <laughs> I went back and i was like oh one of them got eaten the other one probably just got you know converted into uh yeah, shrunken you know, and a bottle. but yeah and it's just it's just this sort of um the scale of what Moore is doing. It it feels very cinematic. He feels very cinematic since everything since um, Neonomicon to me has, I feel, especially Cinema Purgatorio, but in this, when you look at the framing last issue, there was a whole thing where there's like um, sound playing just, he's showing off, how yeah. good comics can do what comics can do better at movies that movies wish they could do uh he's like sort of showing the superiority of the format and it's it's this very um engaged sort of um, i i wasn't i don't think anybody was expecting more to be as uh interested in 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 turning providence into one of his great works as you know he, he seemed kind of checked out on some of those tomorrow stories they were good but you know he gave up on tom strong after a while i um, think i think
2: crossed 100 was so strong and so good and so completely blew your expectations for what amounts to work for hire for a very kind of trashy and salacious uh avatar gore fest yeah. series that when he began doing a, a Lovecraft uh, epic, you I think you kind of knew to buckle in from the beginning.
0: Yeah, I I feel like what is it? Maybe the first. I feel like everybody who read this comic after they read the second went back and read the first again, and then the second again. Same with the third. Just as you yeah. were getting into how the commonplace book or the yeah was affecting things, and it was so weird to see that. Uh, just mentioned in in dialogue from Chrome. You know, like, I'm just going to read this.
2: <laughs> the page count um, on this issue and the last one were shorter than all previous issues because they didn't have the back matter, the commonplace yeah. book. But I felt it didn't feel like truncated or that I was getting cheated on entertainment value in this one. I felt that a little bit in Providence 11. I felt like that issue went by too quickly, but then again, that might have just been because there was a long wait between 10 and 11.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: But it it also might be because of the monstros. 11 swoops 100 years in, what, 30 pages, so it's it's very... It it did feel like it sort of was fast forward. It felt like... I mean, it felt... (laughs) Cymetor Purgatorio number 5 criticizes, like, Cinematic devices telling time, like where calendars fall off of walls and stuff like that, where calendar pages turn. Um, And I, I I felt like, yeah, eleven was very, whoosh. Here's the, here's the current time. You know, here let's catch up to to Neonomicon.
2: And it ends on a cliffhanger, which is something that no other issue in the series does.
1: Yeah, and and every other issue, it was very telegraphed. It was like, oh, I'm going to Brooklyn next issue. Oh, I'm going to Enzmann next issue. So it's sort of, um, yeah. The the last couple ones have been fun to speculate because there 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 was no no sense of. Let me just though. Andrew was talking a little bit about Moore and uh, quality and stuff like that. And I do feel like, and I'm a diehard Moore fan, but I feel like his his sense of Pacing and turning pages and moving people across panels and stuff. He's a master like that. Like I want to say, Cross Plus One Hundred, Number Six, the conclusion where it's sort of alternating between this disaster and these people on horses coming toward this disaster and stuff. There's, there's. He's. I think Moore is a, a master at just at how to use comics panels and comics pages to to tell a story and so even I think if you don't know I mean my, I've been my had my wife read some of Providence who hasn't read Lovecraft or hasn't read a lot of Moore, even and and she's like oh why not you know why is this and who's that and what what's the point of this and and I could explain things but I think I think Provenance is very. I mean, it's a little bit like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen later issues. It's very dependent on having at least some sense of source material. Um, if you don't, you know, you whatever. Yeah. You, well, post you know, like St. Joshi and stuff. Like this. And well, like, yeah. I think you can still. I think you can still be pulled through the story by more um, because because his craft is so good. It, it's just like page turn reveals, like, people are, you know, Perlman's looking up in the sky and then you see that it, Asbath is there and stuff like that. I mean, there's just, just a lot of good... Well, that's um,
2: Yeah, um, it's, it's actually... Work. It, totally. But it's also a little unfortunate that, um, and this is kind of the ill feeling I got when all this Neonomicon stuff was being reintroduced in Providence 11. It's like I wish that when the big hardcover edition of Providence comes out that I could just recommend it uh, you know, to anybody, but it relies so heavily on tying up things from Neonomicon and a bit of familiarity with those people that I'll always have to say, but you should probably also read uh, Neonomicon first, which I wish I didn't have to. Because I loved the – I was sort of hoping that Providence would be totally self-contained, but it it isn't quite.
1: Yeah, Yeah, it almost seems like you should just read issues 1 through 10 if you just want to read Providence. That's a good point. And, and of course, it was
2: originally just going to be those 10 issues, right? Like, Providence 10 could have just been the conclusion, but then uh, Moore kind of did one step better.
1: People have been speculating on this. It was supposed to be 10 issues in, in like – Two thousand six or something. Moore was saying in interviews, ten issues. But I right. think he. I'm not sure that the ending. Well, I have no idea, Ben. And, and it's been fun to speculate. Which, like, uh, like for the most part, each issue is is a town. But then Manchester gets two issues, and Proud, and Boston gets two issues, and stuff like that. So there's some. It, it could have been. Uh, those could have been expanded it's hard to say it's hard to say where that how that 10 went to flow
2: yeah that's true I mean I guess you that could <laughs> you could probably you could probably cut out the episode of him meeting uh, Robert Pittman and Pittman's models and nothing really would have changed would it
1: yeah or or you could get squeeze Pittman and Carver into into one issue in Boston or something potentially um, what who, who what knows what what he had planned you know what he had outlined yeah. 10 years ago.
2: What a lovely issue that uh, number eight the uh, um, the dream world issue oh. that was And in a funny mm-hmm. way, it's um, I was sort of anticipating um, Providence 12 to be a bit of a return to that, like just total surrealism, but it isn't. It's seeing our world overrun by this uh, fungi from Yagath. So it's sort of like you know maybe they felt, well that's that's the that's the surrealism heavy issue. Not that it, Providence twelve isn't surreal events, but it's sort of
0: yeah.
2: the uncanniness of this surreal uh virgin birth. Well not virgin birth, but you know, happening on a bridge and what still looks pretty much like a normal uh American town.
1: I think though that there there is a lot of dreaminess, especially as the as the agents enter Arkham and stuff and the guy asks for the gun and they hand it to him and stuff, there's a lot of uh Things that sort of have dream logic in, in yeah. the way he he brings you into the apocalypse. Even right. the approach to the to the bridge. But then yeah, it doesn't feel as dreamy once once the celestial birth is actually taking place.
2: Yeah, and I like the mention of how, you know, it's going to take however long to, to drive to the town, but in a dream everything is kind of next to each other, so they get there in no time. They get there like one page later. Yeah. Oh, and of course, they start referring to Arkham as Arkham instead of uh, Ansel, and all these things. Like the the analog names are becoming the real thing. Yeah. And yeah. after all, it, it's funny after, like, referencing facts in the case of Providence every issue now throughout this whole series to finally get to the point where uh, Joshi is just saying, like, oh, yeah, those are the things from uh, The Whisperer in Darkness. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's, there's, fi- there's finally somebody in the comic re- doing yeah. the uh, the annotation for you.
1: Yeah, Robert was saying, too, he's even quoting, like, obscure letters of Lovecrafts that even Joshi might not have memorized. (laughs) So it's it's very, uh, that, uh, detail.
0: One of the Uh things on the bridge after the birth, when they're just sort of preparing for the inevitable sitcom sequel series, uh... (laughs) Everybody seems to know a lot more about Lovecraft than they previously, or at least Perlman, uh, who at best, you, you sort of got the feeling. I sort of saw Pearlman's Lovecraft knowledge as being the, uh, you know, somebody who, who understood Hellboy had some sort of Lovecraft influence to it or something like that. And he, he's, he's referencing he it by the end. And Moore can get away with it because he's already like done that establishment that, you know, no, things are different now. This is, you know, the dream, you're living in the, the pre, uh, it's the way it used to be. And I feel like he's, and it's more of course, I'm sure if you went through the issue and looked at um, how their dialogue changed throughout, you, you'd probably be able to pinpoint when um, they're... Exposition was more self-musing than to to someone else, but it just—it's such a gentle finish, and it's so—it's this welcoming finish. in these three characters, uh, I think they're just like you know, we we've got to figure out what to do. And is it Joshi who says we might not really have a place here on this new world? Which got me wondering, yeah, where where are the people? Are people just gone? Um, yeah.
2: And I liked the um, I like how when they see uh, Shub Niggurath, I think that's it. Uh, they're sort of like, well, it's moving kind of slow, but we should probably get off the bridge. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, oh, okay, human beings are just ants now, and and they have to watch out for these giants that are coming down the road and get out of the way. Yeah. So, you know, the old the old expression, it's so and so's world, and we're we're just living in it
1: let's talk can i talk a little bit about the uh, one of the things that i really like more doing is is panels and how um I, I remember when you guys did the earlier show uh uh i think i remember andrew saying like oh, the the borders got straight whatever. no that's it's like matt
0: these matt that, noticed that
1: Did these you? little things like uh yeah prob- probably
2: thanks to You know, facts in the case, but yeah. Oh, and by the way, the uh, the the borders going straight in this issue comes when they uh, finally meet up with Brayers, I believe.
1: Yeah, and I like the there's a page where so so the whole series we've got either four vertical panels or three. I'm sorry, four horizontal panels or three vertical panels, and there's a page as we're seeing Cthulhu being born where we all of a sudden get eight vertical panels where we get this like uh, different pace. And I, I think it's cool. I think it's more emulating sort of like birth contractions. Um, and the 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 other thing, there's something odd going on with the panels that are sort of the 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 height of the panels in the in the first half of the issue where the rough edges are sort of breathing. They're 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 they vary, they get closer to the bottom and the tops of the page and stuff. There's there's all kinds of little weird <laughs> play with panels that, that's, that I think is exciting. It again goes to you were saying how Moore is sort of showing that what comics can do that movies can't. And I think there's there's a there's a bunch of that sort of playing with the edges and the borders um, that that's been fun in Providence. That like even the the Dreamlands was using the what's called, what Scott McCloud calls a where the, the image goes across the panels, which actually happens in the the scene of the skyscrapers yeah. and the and the, the dome on this issue. That he sort of uses that in more dream and more modern settings. He, I mean, he actually uses it in the underground sequence in issue two. There were there's just sort of tricks that. That more, I mean, in Watchmen, more use polyptics like every other page, or maybe not every other page, but, um, very frequently. Um, in Promethea, they're used a lot in sort of dream transitions between the, the immateria and the real world. And I don't know it's just, I think, I think even more has gotten, um, I'm such a fanboy, but, it has gotten judicious in in using special techniques like in certain settings to evoke certain things and stuff. So the dream settings and and uh, underground settings, anyways. It's it's yeah. It's a, it's a master. He's a master at knowing like what tricks to use when.
2: I'm, I'm sure um, Jerusalem is is terrific, but at the same time, I, I just. Don't know if I can invest that much time in this gigantic book that isn't a comic by Alan Moore because and so
0: that's, much thought
2: because that's just the medium that he's the master in. It's like I
0: yeah.
1: I, I agree. I, I mean, I, he's been saying in interviews that that he's only got you know a certain number of comics left in him, and um, that he and that he wants to spend time on film and on poetry and whatnot, and. Uh, I, and I'm and I enjoy showpieces and uh, the Unearthing and one and I'm I, I I and Jerusalem which I haven't I confess I haven't gotten through yet but I've read I've read the first oh come on <laughs> it's been it's been it's been, <laughs> but, been out for how long now like what are you doing come on
2: uh, it's only this only the size of two phone books
1: but I do I do feel like he's such a master at comics that that it's that it's a little bit, I mean, I can understand that he as an artist would want to be doing these other things, but I, as a a fan of what comics can do, feel a little disappointed that, you know, someone who's so good at comics feels like they want to do other things.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, just wait until he's passed on and he's, you know, he's he's in uh, the Lake of Halley or whatever, and uh, Avatar licenses the official comics adaptation
1: of Jerusalem. Yeah, I mean, the sequential adaptation, <clears throat> <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> if they haven't already, and they're just like, "Come on, you'll be able to pay your tax bill forever," because that's that's what brought him back with um, Neonomicon yeah. is that he just wanted to pay that one bill or something. But um,
2: and it's funny, right? Because uh, cause the the courtyard started as a textual piece. And mm-hmm. from that we, and from that Lovecraft text piece, we wound up with all these Lovecraft comics.
1: Without it's such a good text piece. People should go back and I've been I reread that a couple times as Providence is coming out, and it's so it's it's better somehow. It's better than the comics piece, I mean, I think in part because mm-hmm. Moore didn't do the quote sequential adaptation. Yeah. But uh, but it's that 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 is I mean. More, more, can write text that grabs you, and and I read it. I frankly read it after I read the comic, but it, it's it's awesome, and there's stuff in there that's not in the comic, so it's it's worth reading.
2: And and William Burroughs read it before he died, right? According to Providence Eleven, was that <laughs> yeah? The, uh... Well,
1: actually, he he contributed to the same anthology called The Starry Wisdom that it appeared in. So oh, okay, uh, there's, a, there, there's a Burroughs piece in there.
2: So, so we just have to assume that Burroughs read the rest of it besides his contribution? <sighs> I, yeah, I
1: don't, I don't know that Moore answers that question, but pro, who
2: knows? <laughs> yeah, he is dead when we see him in Providence <laughs> uh, 11. So who, who's to say?
0: I Just talking about this is Moore's last huge comics work, um, which I, I feel like he's... It's nobody. I mean, n- not to be nasty about it, but nobody's ever gonna give more. A um, is gonna upfront give more money for another novel or for a movie. Probably, I'm sure he could kickstart movies um, on a limited budget. But when Cinema Purgatorio needed Kickstarter, it went through the roof really fast. Even when it was not really promising anything, it was just promising you goodies. Um, And it's, the thing about Providence is, is yeah, it would have been so great to just have it as something you could recommend. Because even with, uh, this is, you guys will appreciate this, uh, Elsbeth. The little girl and the, 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 the creepy night with Robert. Um, yeah. Yeah. That kind of got that duplicated right. for a very popular uh, New York Times bestseller that just came out. And obviously it's not Providence. Obviously it's just, um, I mean, Lovecraft. What
2: do you mean? Somebody did a similar body swapping scene.
0: Yep. Did a body swapping scene. You find out about it at the end. I mean, I'm listening to it going, wow, you should really read Providence if that freaked you out. Because, you know, Providence did it better. Um, But Providence is sort of accessible. You know, it's uh, Neonomicon is not accessible. Neonomicon is nasty and just it's it's. I mean, I think it's good, but it's not accessible in the same way that Providence sort of eases you into showing yeah. you these things of terror. And,
2: and it's a very Lovecraftian terror always because it's not about the gore or right. whatever. It's it's about the the disturbed... No, I guess with the exception of the Elspeth rape scene.
0: Yeah, and even then he's using... Um, he and Burroughs are, are using every uh, tool and device of the medium to, to make it as horrifying as possible. Because when you think about it, I mean, we all sort of read that issue and we're like, oh, oh, God. And for the most part, everybody I talked to about that, who had that response, which is you, Matt, and Vernon, the guy who does the podcast. You know, we're a bunch of guys, so Moore knows his audience. <laughs> um and it was also
2: issue 6 it was we knew it was the halfway point and we thought i thought at least perhaps this would be the halfway point where robert wises up but, but no, no. <laughs> by
0: the
2: by the next issue he's rattled sure but he's already kind of
1: rationalizing it and writing it off
0: he's such a delightful idiot um
1: yeah but it's a little unconvincing how how much crap he sees that he can't that that he and and i think more almost overwrites it in the commonplace book of how he rationalizes those things. but I
0: think with that um, the thing where I realized the commonplace book was the first issue when he's just such a dick about the girl in the office who likes him I mean, he's just an asshole about her liking him he just picks on her and I feel—and he brings her up, I think, in the second issue's Commonplace book to, like, make a joke about her. I feel like he, yeah. that's the other thing is he's not just a dope. He's kind of a dick. You know, like, he's he's got uh, sympathetic details about him, and he isn't a lot of peril. But that doesn't mean we have to like him. You're, that doesn't mean we have to like him in the traditional sense that we like a protagonist. You know, he's not— you know, Moore's most likable protagonist is probably Abby Arcane, right? Like, she's literally, you know, the bride of a god, you know, and we just... She, everything she does is wonderful at a certain point. I mean, so, but with Robert Black, it's not like that. But just... So we have this... I'm, I'm getting off track because that's what you do when you talk about Providence. You just have this... um <clears throat> This really good book, and you could get people into Alan Moore. You could get them into comics. It's not like From Hell, where you're like, okay, you have to read From Hell because <laughs> there's no other way to tell this story. That's what, fourteen hundred pages, <laughs> or it, it, it looks like it, right? Um, Feels like it, yeah. Providence, yeah. yeah, it's gonna have it's gonna have a nice, relatively not too weighty. Well, I, I imagine they're gonna have to do two six issue collections, but. It it's Alan Moore at a time when comics are creatively in a really bad spot, right? And <laughs> hey,
2: Joe, do you know offhand if uh, collected altogether the twelve issues of Providence are longer than twelve issues of Watchmen?
1: I I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it's about the same, but okay.
2: Because if it's about the same, I mean, I've you know we've yeah, all they, seen, we, we've, we've, we've all seen watch, the paperback. Know the paperback of Watchmen on a million bookshelves, so...
0: But isn't, isn't Providence... Watchmen was 24 pages, or was it 28?
2: That's what I don't know.
0: Yeah, anyway, so... It's going to be big and awesome, and we're going to be able to give it to people, and saying you should stop at issue 10 is going to be a little awkward, but... <laughs> yeah. The thing is, is that, like, so, you know, DC's in trouble, or has been for however many since basically they pissed off Alan Moore 10 years ago, right? And Marvel can't figure out how to leverage being owned by Disney and having the most popular franchises, except for Star Wars. And then here comes Alan Moore at Avatar, which either is run out of some guy's garage in, like, suburban Illinois, or it was at one point run out of that, and just this guy doing gory horror comics and... Ending up being the place that, you know, Alan Moore, who you'd think Top Shelf would still want to do something with him. You'd think that maybe not Fantagraphics, but, you know, he and Top Shelf had a pretty yeah, nice yeah. Um, relationship for a while. He's doing all this great work at Avatar, and then he's just. I mean, Cinema Purgatorio is bumpy, but when Cinema Purgatorio is great, it's, you know, that King Kong issue, I feel like, should be just given out as a um, biography of
2: should it should be given out at screenings of skull island
0: yeah oh wow <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so it's just this it's not I, I i have a hard time feeling like he's really gone but
2: because oh, you're talking about him like like he's dead
0: Andrew. i'm talking about him like no, well, well because i don't watch <laughs> his movies all right and i'm never so here's so
1: here's here's the good news uh, and and this is uh some people hadn't heard this on the blog but you know there there is another Alan Moore Lovecraft Avatar comic book coming soon, and, and it's apparently already written, and it's not it's not uh, it's not that long. Supposedly, it's drawn by Gabriel Andrade, the okay. artist who did Cross Plus One Hundred, and it's like top secret that no, nobody will talk about it and tell anything about it. <laughs> it's it's uh, a it's a sequel probably. to. <laughs> It's um, it's
2: Reanimator versus Cthulhu.
0: <laughs> no, it's right. that it, sitcom it, I was telling. Ver,
1: ver, ver, versus Ash. It's the Mad Arab versus Azathoth. Only one will survive. You know, it's it's before Providence. No, just kidding. Like before uh. Watchmen.
2: <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I, that would be a travesty. But yeah. it, it um, <laughs> it's there's something else that that in doing all this research that more. C- crafted some sort of side project that's Lovecraftian so we're we're excited about oh, that. And uh, my hunch is, as soon as the you know sales dry on Providence Avatar, will kickstart that or something. So, uh, our cup our uh,
2: cup runneth over. You think he'd be completely sick of Lovecraft by now? Well, but
1: well, <laughs> what's sad is, I think Burroughs is. I think Jason Burroughs just like spent two years on this and and wasn't didn't want to draw the next. <laughs> more Lovecraft,
0: yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this but is. Let me, let me say, so Andrew, though.
1: Some something something you were bringing up makes makes you think about. It. So, you know, I grew up reading Marvel and DC, and um, you know, graduated to Zippy the Pinhead and Robert Crumb, and and kept Moore and and uh, and like Cowboy and stuff that that were that sort of have one foot in those comics of my youth and one foot in something better and more literary and. And I think that the and and yes, Marvel and DC are you know I would say largely crap today that I that I can't really stomach outside of a couple. I still, I'm reading Black Panther, and even that's not quite up to spec. But <laughs> but uh and and I'm um, you know grasping at every you know obscure Moore reprint that I can find, and and I read a little bit of like Karen Gillan and. Um, there's, there's a couple things that I'll dip into here and then, but um, but I think more, but I think that the the stuff that excites me, it doesn't have, are creators that don't have one foot in in the comics of my youth. That there, there's a lot of stuff like Alison Bechdel and um, Nimona. I'm forgetting who the woman's name, Noel Stevenson, is that her name? Gosh, I build that. That that don't that are that are there are young creators working today. Even I mean, stuff I read with my daughter, um, Raina Telgemeier and yeah. stuff that that are that are awesome. That don't that don't need the the you know baggage of you know of fifty years of Iron Man continuity or whatever to to weigh down on them. And and I think those Craig Thompson. Um, I'm trying to think of. Folks that I've that I've been really into lately. I mean, and some some stuff, whatever. I mean, I saw, so I think that there are new, you know, it's sort of like the fungi growing up in the in the yeah. crumbling old world of Providence. But uh, I think I think that I think Moore is is really someone who, uh, you know, I'm thinking of like Swamp Thing, someone who can who can take who can who's who's steeped in the continuity of my youth and of. DC and Marvel who can take that and like run circles around what other people are doing with it um stuff like Watchmen Swamp Thing that that still sort of follow those rules but but sort of turn them on their ear in in a delightful way um but I think really the I think I think in some ways comics are going to be richer for for the new voices that are that are that are growing up um in, that that aren't steeped in all the all the crap that us fanboys want to see, you know. And so I think I think the what what's I think the comics. I mean, it's sort of gosh, it's so morian, you know. So <laughs> you're apocalypse. saying that I think the comics apocalypse is going to come, and the and <laughs> and the people who so, the, the people yeah. who are doing the good so, stuff are going to not even notice that. In this in now, this analogy, then. In this analogy, like
2: uh, Alan Moore is um, is Johnny Carcosa, and <laughs> the world of the world of DC and Marvel is is the uh, the old world of human history that we're flipping on its ear. Yeah,
0: All right, exactly. I can get behind that. Yeah, exactly. And and I agree with that completely. That what we're, I guess, what I was just trying to to point at was that these are two companies that DC has kept Watchmen in print. Since 1987 or whatever, 88, (laughs) 89, at questionable profit at time just to screw Alan Moore over because they wanted to turn it into a movie. Marvel bought who knows what, paid who knows what to get um, Miracle Man, and they totally um, crapped those reprints because they couldn't get his participation. Um, so these are two companies that he's sort of the crown jewel of yeah. um, sort of mainstream and it. comics,
1: it, and his his description of that is those the, they are like raccoons going through his dustbins <laughs> looking for like soiled crumpled pieces of paper to like going through my dustbins.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but he's still got the chops. He can he could do what these guys needed to do. I guess is the thing is that. Yeah. You know, Providence is not I'm sure there's some sort of crossover that's happened in the last 15 years where you had a character going through 10 issues of their backstory and you know tying in all these things. It's a very it just it's just something that I I think if it happened in mainstream Comics, we'd all be pleasantly surprised at an event comic that paid off even a fraction of as much as Providence. I mean, Providence <clears throat> pays off more than yeah. I, I can't even think of what I, I, I'm.
1: No, it's because Moore is a writer who can write circles around the the you know people who are the fanboys who are you uh, know who give a. <laughs>
2: I don't know, you guys. I mean, I did you did you not did you not see the Batman Ninja Turtles crossover recently? I mean, <sighs> minds were blown.
0: I'm just I'm just since we're on a tangent, I'm just pissed off about the Booster Gold Flintstones one. But no, sorry. <laughs>
2: Yeah, no, that, that that's the big new idea is we're going to do gritty, dark reboots of the Flintstones. And I know it's a good comic. I've read your reviews, Andrew, but it's also like, come on, really?
0: Because I mean, it's, it's, we're at this point of needing to exploit brands. And so the idea of more not being sort of in the wings, uh, because he's always been present um, though he did sort of say he was retiring in, what, 2007?
1: Yeah, oh, yeah.
0: Like, Lost Girls was supposed to be it um, at one point. And then, of course, something for League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And but those were
1: kind of dark. From 2006 to when did Cross Plus 100 come out, there was no... Oh, that's uh, true. 2014, 2013, there, there was no Monthly More comic hitting the stands. I mean, there was, you know, the trickle of Extraordinary gentlemen and the *The Lost Girls and the, there was a God is Dead. But, I mean, there there really was a ten-year-ish period, a decade, when when Moore was writing... When Moore had given up on comics, was writing Jerusalem and, you know, ducking, poking his head in uh, for Neonavicon <laughs> here and there. So... Uh, but I, I think... I don't... You know, I just... I, I think that he... The the tail is really wagging the dog. You talked about like comics um, being brand promotion for the Flintstones or for the you know Star Wars or whatever, and I think that I think that has um, uh, screwed up comics. I mean, Fantastic Four and X Men are are you know were were joyous parts of my youth, and and it's just like yeah you know. Because they couldn't make a profit off the right movies, they they're they're killed or being they're dead or being killed, and I think something that that's fascinating on all that too that uh, to to tie it into Cinema Purgatorio is I think that I think one of the things Moore's really getting at with Cinema Purgatorio and all the all the horrors of of creative people like. Um, What's his name, Hollis O'Brien, the King Kong creator? Yeah, Willis, yeah. Willis, that's right, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Thelma Todd, there, there just gets to be, with film, with, with the, the advent of sort of turned up the volume, 21st century, 20th century, even media, of tie-ins and crossovers and crap, you know, Um, that, that always disappoints because it's so overblown, um, there's, there's, there's the money feedback going in that kills the art, the art and the artist in cases of like Thelma Todd. Um, and I think it's a really, it's a, it's a tough, I mean, I do a little art and comics and I, I would love to see my stuff get exposure, but I know as soon as somebody sees my stuff and starts yanking me around and saying, you know, I've seen your stuff that looks like A, and I really want a you know commission that looks like Z, then I see the dollar signs in my eyes and you know change my style and it turns out crappy and stuff like that. So it's very, I think it's I think it's Moore's exploration of you you can't let commerce wag the tail of art um, and expect art to be any good yeah that's a that's a good point
2: and that is kind of the common theme with his and Kevin O'Neill's uh, chapters in the Cinema Purgatorio anthologies um, and I guess that's probably why he's embracing more kickstarting and crowdfunding and stuff because he sees the internet as a viable medium for creator owned content as they like to call it and uh, he's having some measure of success with that. You know, if he were, if he were half his age again, um, he would. I think he'd be doing that for a long time more.
0: How many times yeah, do you guys I, think we've said "more" this episode?
2: I know. I, I, as I said it just now, I realize that like it's stuck in my, it's stuck in my head now, and it won't leave. <laughs>
1: yeah, I think though that the, my my theory is Kickstarter is Avatar doing a lot of pre sales of. You know, issue ones for stuff like Uber and Simon Purgatorio. I, 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 don't. I think Moore is willing to. I think Alan Moore is willing to. You know, do the work he wants to do, and let folks like Avatar do. I mean, do crap like eight thousand covers. I mean, Providence has what oh, over a hundred covers now. If you have yeah. The collected editions. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I, this this has been the first time where
2: I've really been a nerd for alternate covers because it just means more great art. But oh, there's yeah, more they're, again.
1: They're beautiful. <laughs> it be well, it'd be great to see. I'd love to see it. I think if there's a three volume collection or something that they're talking about because there's Act One and Act Two they've collected now. I think they should do the collected covers. I mean, I'd like to see yeah yeah see those. In print, you'd have to make that
2: separate too, because that's a whole yeah. other volume in of itself. Yeah,
0: I- I'm hoping for an absolute edition. I know that Avatar <laughs> has never done anything quite like that, but I feel like they've got to know that they've got us with this. Like they've got to know that we're going to pay for some sort of great Providence collection, and they're more than willing to. Oh, come on. Just
2: it's, 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 it's okay. You okay. can say it.
0: I could say it. Um, you know, Avatar prints in South Korea, right? They print in China, they print in North Korea, if they could. So they'll put together <laughs> something amazing that'll take, that'll be two years late and cost, you know, 200 bucks and they'll still get us to some point because that yeah. last issue, I want to see, um, those Jason Burroughs panels as big as I can and I this is like the dorkiest thing I've ever said on comics fondle, as far as I can remember. But if I could, I would get one of those VR headsets, you know, uh, the, the, the Sony one or whatever. If I could just look at those panels as full size things, because there's so much in them, especially this issue. And then you just,
2: and they're they're so often, and there's so many horizontal panels.
0: I know. And you just know that they're going to echo back and echo back. And, Yeah, I don't know. Just give Alan Moore all the. We've even gotten away from. I feel like before Miracle Man got reprinted, there was still some hope that Alan Moore would, you know, decide it was worth it to come back and maybe have somebody better than Chuck Austin draw all of his (laughs) Miracle Man issues. And he'd participate and. You know, Marvel did a great job of just lying through their teeth about the state of negotiations because, you know, I'm sure there weren't any. Like, take my damn name off of it and we're done. Um, So just, who knows, maybe the secret project is League of Extraordinary Gentlemen meets Providence.
1: Oh, boy, it, it already happened though. <laughs> I mean, the what was the ice the the Nemo one? She goes. Oh yeah, oh, they. The I, I didn't read that,
2: yeah, but yes. they did. They ran into uh, some at the mountains of madness type uh, deal, didn't they?
1: Even <laughs> it, there's a there's there's lots of Lovecraft in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. There's uh, Alan and the Sundered Veil vale, has um, Randolph Carter being John Carter's. Of, oh yeah, uh, they're like uh, yeah, yeah, like they're Raleigh related and so yeah. there's a bunch of <laughs> <laughs> they've already they've already met. Uh, uh,
2: well, okay. I
1: I, right. I I think it's I don't think it's going to be my my hunch is it's not Providence continuity, but it's some like fun idea that Moore thought up while he was so steeped in Lovecraft that didn't fit Providence that would be its own separate standalone.
2: Maybe I mean you know at the Mountains of Madness I think maybe is the only major Lovecraft work that didn't get referenced in Providence.
1: Ah, but you missed a reference the the um <laughs> the the witch uh, house Massey she mentions a professor of linguists who's uh, who's from Mountains of. Oh Madness. yeah. <laughs> All right, they got her. They they got it. I mean, it's nothing, but it's it's in there.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I thought you know, with um, Whisperer and Darkness, they all we also see uh, the guy who got taken over by one of the great. Oh no, no, I'm thinking of um, what is it? The Shadow Out of Time. Yeah, they worked in the professor who is uh, moment, you know, temporarily taken over by the great race, and then we see uh, we see we see some middle-aged lady uh, at the Holy Birth uh, being playing host to another one of them. So, got a double dip there. All right, well, guys, I think that's a good place to yeah, kind of leave, leave it I off was on. Because say. We were, we we're sort of spiraling into cynicism around the industry, and that's <laughs> never a good tangent to go off on because it never ends. But, um, you know, we should rejoice. Uh, the Redeemer lives and all that. So, um, yeah. yeah, Andrew, uh, the where can people find your comics blogging
0: again? Comics blogging is at comicsfondle.com
2: yep and uh you sometimes do a podcast with uh your, your friend Vern, uh, who's a retailer and you, you put up reviews all the time i contribute sometimes um my cartoons comic strips are at dangerburger.com and uh joe um of course everybody i'm sure listening to this knows about facts in the case of providence um but is there anything else you wanted to mention one more time
1: yeah, there's well, there's so there's I'm just gonna plug a couple of websites quick. There's facts in the case of Providence, and these are all just WordPress stuff, and you can find them from through facts. But uh, we're doing there's a team of us doing annotations of Cinema Purgatorio at uh, Purgatorio Annotado. <laughs> <laughs> Dot of, of then, course, uh, yeah. Uh, and then there's a kind of a catch-all. I do I blog about transportation issues for a living and. In LA. Um, but I, so I have sort of a catch all blog that's about my family, and that has, that actually ended up having a lot of stuff about comics in it. And that one's called The Periodic Fable. And there's, um, cross plus 100 annotations there, including like our glossary and whatnot. So, excellent. But it's been fun. I, I, I enjoyed this. I hope I did it. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, uh, yeah, thank so you. much
2: for hanging out with us today, Joe. And, um, yeah, you know, everybody just, uh, I don't know, compose yourselves and get ready for the next dose of Alan Moore Lovecraft whenever that hits. And, uh, yeah, thanks, uh, thanks for listening today.
0: Thanks, everybody. Thank you.